Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Our message this morning is um, based on scripture reading from Matthew chapter 7. We're going to get to that in just a minute, but I want to get your mind set on a couple of thoughts first. Several months ago, the headline news in the Minneapolis Star and Tribune, which is where I'm from, had bold letters. Three words. Why God? Question mark. Why? Exclamation mark. Over the weekend, six teenagers were killed in car accidents, and the tragedy was overwhelming, and the newspaper was questioning, God, why did this happen? Almost where were you? Why would you allow it to happen? Reading on into the article, you discover several things which I found interesting. In both vehicles, the driver was 16 years old, was driving past midnight, breaking the law, had other occupants in the car, breaking the law, was intoxicated, breaking the law, and was not wearing seatbelts, breaking the law. Why God? Why? We're interesting, aren't we? I wonder how God smiles sometimes when he says, you're asking me why. Why are you having troubles? Why are you having struggles? What's it all about? Sometimes things happen in this world which we have no control over, and God already told us that's going to happen. Oftentimes, we do things in our sinfulness, in our weakness, that contribute to the whole why God, why syndrome. When we look at Jesus Christ as our rock and firm foundation, a lot of the whys get answered for us. Let's take a quick look at the verses uh, from Matthew chapter 7. This particular verses, these particular verses are the conclusion to what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus' audience is really uh, the 12 disciples that are standing before him. And as I read the message, what I want you to understand is these words are directed to the disciples and us, and they have a very specific purpose. It is to help us better understand how to live the Christian life and how when we put our Christian life firmly rooted in Jesus as our foundation, how it will look and how things change. Let's take a look at these verses from Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27. Excuse me. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against his house, and it fell with a great crash. Just because we're here this morning and hearing God's words does not give us a guarantee that we're going to put them into practice, according to what Jesus is saying. The wise person hears these words, listens to them, meditates on them, obeys them, and puts them into practice. It sounds simple, doesn't it? And yet we know every day we can struggle with that and we'll never fully accomplish it. Before my last trip, I came down. Uh, it was one of the most interesting days of my life. The night before, again, 
Jeff didn't tell you, you probably hear this come out time and time again. Before I got into ministry, I was a police officer for 20 years. And a lot of my life is still very much connected to that. Over the weekend, the news headlines reported that an officer had been murdered and another one had been involved in an altercation and killed a suspect. What happened in this particular scene was that two young men hijacked a car, parked it, abandoned it, and a police officer who was an older gentleman who happened to come in on his day off, rolled up, suburban cop, rolled up on the car, was writing down the license plate, and out of the bushes came one of the suspects with an assault rifle and executed him right in his car. Now think of some of the irony that I'm about to tell you about. As this is going on, a retired police officer is jogging down the path and witnesses the whole thing. He's retired, jogging, has no weapon, no radio, no way to help this guy, has to actually watch this go down and watch the guys take off. He runs down, checks on the police officer. He's killed immediately, grabs his radio and puts the call out that officer's been shot and killed, puts a description out, and now the whole weekend starts to unfold. These two gentlemen go on the run, and it, 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 a call goes out. And what happens when a call goes out to an officer being killed, a lot of guys come in who aren't even supposed to be working. One of them was Officer David Longben, who started in 1981 on the police department with me. We had the same opening date, started in a little suburban police department. And five years later, David went on to his dream job working for St. Paul. I went on to my dream job working for the state of Minnesota in narcotics and homicide. And now... Several weeks ago, David just about lost his life. You see, David was a canine officer, and he heard about the officer that had already been killed, and he responded on his day off with his dog in plain clothes to help set up a perimeter. And the perimeter was fairly far out, but that's where David set up and was told to go. And I don't think David was really anticipating a whole lot to happen, to be honest with you. Matter of fact, he told me later he wasn't. While on the perimeter, he notices someone walking towards him who has a cell phone out and somewhat matches the description. He calls this gentleman over to him and says, I need to talk to you. The guy's acting a little bit nervous. So David does what you do is you pat the person down for weapons. As he begins to search the guy, he has a leg bolt in his right hand. He spins around and hits Officer Longben and knocks him flat to the ground. He then gets on top of him with his leg bolt and begins to just punish him in the face over and over. And when I talked to David, he said, I I could remember feeling the impact as my cheekbones cracked and my nose splattered and I felt blood dropping across my eyes. I started seeing my children, my wife, my career, and thinking I'm never going to get out of this. Flat on his back, being beaten to death by someone he knows just killed a police officer. He said, at some point, the thought crossed my mind, I'm not going to die today. He managed to push the guy off pull his weapon out. There was a fight for the gun, and he shoots this guy four times and kills him. I went to David's house that following Monday to talk to him, and he looked pretty tough. He was released from the hospital, no permanent damage, eyes swollen shut, but he talked about what it was like to be knocked down on his back, feeling totally helpless, wondering, am I going to get out of this, and then suddenly take control and begin to move things into action. I bet if I went around to each and every one of you and say, give me an example in the last last week where you felt knocked down, it might not be this dramatic, but we've all been knocked down the last week or two weeks or the last year. Loss of job, health issues, relationship issues, 
worry, anxiety, addictions, anger, fear. We can go on and on and on. So much to the point that I think it's rather interesting if you look at what we as Americans spend the most money on, the top two things. Number one, in this country, we spend more money on mental health. Number one. Number two, ironically, is cosmetics. So if we can't feel good, we're going to look good, right? (laughs) How much of that's working for us? When we get knocked down and we reach for something other than Jesus the rock, we put our trust in shifting sand. New studies out. If you want to have some fun, take a look at it. New studies show that the average medication that's being dispensed for anxiety and fear and mood disorders is about as effective as a sugar pill. That's interesting. Now, please let me say this. If you're on antidepressant medication, do not go home and get off. Did everybody hear that? If you're on medication, do not go home and get off because you'll have all kinds of issues. My point in this is, if I give you a sugar pill and say, this is going to make you feel better, it immediately impacts your attitude. And if I can impact your attitude, I can change things on all sorts of levels. Isn't that amazing? Talk to someone who's ever been a coach. What's the first thing they're going to work on? Attitude. If his team comes out and looks across the field and they're already beaten, we got problems. My sophomore year, I went to a little Lutheran high school, and we're getting ready to face this opponent who's ranked number one in the state. We're on one end of the field. They're on the other end of the field. We're getting warmed up, doing our calisthenics. I'm talking to my best buddy, who's now a pastor in Madison. I said, hey, Randy, I don't think they look that big. I think we can take these guys. We're, yeah, yeah, we can do this. Then they came running by. They didn't have their shoulder pads in yet. <laughs> oh, no. Our attitude changed. Did we win? No, no, we did not win. (laughs) Let's take a look at how really important attitude is. When we understand that God who created us puts a big emphasis on how we view the day, again, things change. Isn't it interesting where we look for help from? So God says to each and every one of you, I made you, I made the world, I made the people you're with, I know everything, How about coming to me when you're in trouble? How about seeing what I have to say about issues? How about opening up your Bible instead of, as the old country western song says, looking for love in all the wrong places? If you want to impact attitude, God says the person, God being the the ultimate authority, says good things happen when you change your attitude. Let's take a look at several Bible verses that help us really address attitude. Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I do a lot of what we call spiritual coaching counseling. I start immediately with asking someone, how do you view yourself in the world? How do you wake up in the morning? Poor me. Oh, I can't believe what I got to do today. Life is so tough. You can immediately make a difference in your life when you look up to God and say, you know, Lord, there are issues and they are very real. And some of them are difficult. But today I choose to look at this verse and say, this is a day that you have made. It's a gift to me. I am going to rejoice and be glad in it. 
Do you know they can actually measure serotonin level? And they can tell you the minute you become a thankful, grateful, trusting Christian, your whole brain chemistry changes. Isn't that awesome? And if I see the world as opportunity, and if I see the place that God's created and God's in control of, my attitude changes. Take a look at the next verse. From Joshua 1.5. Now again, remember this verse is written to Joshua from God as he's about to take two million people, the Israelites, and go into a foreign land, conquer it, and establish it. Now the two million, approximately two million, were complainers and grumblers, by the way. So this is what God says. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How does my attitude change when I'm in the midst of any kind of issue and I say no matter what's going on, right here is my God. Right here is the almighty, powerful God who says, don't be afraid. I'm here. We're going to be okay. I know it looks dark. I know it looks dangerous, and it is. But you're going to be okay. And do you know when you take those words And as Jeff mentioned earlier, and as the scriptures say, not just hear them, but believe them and put them into practice. So in other words, if my friend, as he's laying on his back, getting pummeled, says, this is so unfair, it was my day off, I've got 30 years on, I should not have to die this way, why is this happening to me? What's going to happen? He's done. God looks at you and says, you don't live that way. I will always be there with you. And in your attitude, trust and put your confidence in him, knowing that he has the ability to pull you out of any situation. And if he leaves you in that situation, it's not an accident. He leaves you there to strengthen you, to draw you closer to him, to prepare you for the next incident. So we never have to look at things in a view of poor me, why me, it's all about me, it's really all about God. And putting to practice that firm foundation says, Lord, I know this, this hurts and I know you know it hurts, but I trust you, I believe in you, I know you can get me through this. Shift your attitude, things begin to change. We're talking about Christian living here, and we should look different and behave different than the world does. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. No matter what happens in my life, how tragic, how difficult, God says to me, I will take that and work that for your good. Here's one point that I think very few people talk on, and I really want you to hear. Do you know one of the most driving factors in in making people feel down, depressed, anxious is guilt? And so when I make a mistake, when I allow that little tape recorder to keep saying, you're worthless, you did it again, shame on you, that's not God speaking. God says, you're forgiven, I love you, I'm with you, I will even take your mistakes and work them for your good. Follow me, trust me, build your whole life upon me. Too often, folks, when we are in pain or we are struggling, We don't build on that firm foundation. We look for something else that gives us immediate self-gratification to take away the pain. 
It's called self-medicate. I'm having a bad day. I'm having a drink. I'm having a bad day. Let's go eat some junk food. I'm having a bad day. Let's go buy something. I'm having a bad day. Let's have an anger outburst. I train my brain to search for shifting sand instead of the firm foundation. How about I'm having a bad day, but this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice in it. How about this is really difficult, but God says he'll never leave me or forsake me. Doesn't that change things? How about even in the midst of the worst mistake I've made or someone else has made towards me, God says he'll work that for my good. I do not live as a victim. How many people live as a victim? Because of what my father did, I have to be this way. Because of how my ex-husband treated me, I have to be this way. Because I was picked on, I have to be this way. That's not God talking to you. God says, I'll even take when you have been attacked and use that to strengthen you, help you persevere, grow you stronger, draw you closer. The closest I ever feel to God is when I have messed up and I remember how much he forgives me. Not in my victories, not in any earthly stuff. It's when I truly get the fact that, you know what? As bad as that was, Lord, you still see me as a perfect and holy child of God bought with the blood of Jesus. When I counsel, especially young ladies who really struggle with emotions and how they look, I say, promise me every day you'll get up and look in the mirror and say, I am a perfect and holy child of God bought with the blood of Jesus. God made me the right height, the right weight, the right hair color, the right intelligence, the right personality to serve whom? Him. Not to please my boyfriend, not to please myself, not to please my parents, but it's all about serving him, and that greatly impacts my attitude. From attitude, we really can change things. And what does, it's transforming. And our final verse I want to look on that has to do with, with the whole transformation fact. And it's from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. Sounds wonderful. How do we do it? How do we really change that attitude? Does it make a difference? I think, I hope for not, at least I've convinced you to think about it. Attitude begins to change when we understand where it really gets shaped, and that's in God's word. God has given us resources. He says, I know how you are made. I know you're weak. I know it's difficult. I get all this. It's okay. So I'm not going to leave you hanging out there. I'm going to give you resources. And the greatest resource he gives us is his word. He says, when you spend time in my word and you reflect on my words, I will transform you and renew your mind. Now, you can pay a whole lot of people 150 bucks an hour to try and do that. You can go out and spend all kinds of money to try and do that or go through all kinds of other things that always seem... Isn't it amazing how many things that come up just about the time we're convinced they're true? A new theory comes up. How many here got a psychology degree? Don't be embarrassed. I got one. <laughs> Every time I would think of these psychology courses, which I, there's a lot of good stuff in that. Believe me, I, I've got counseling courses. It's all wonderful but I'd learn some big, long theory, and they'd make you memorize it. Don't you love school? 
memorize this so you can repeat it back to me. Okay. Then at the end they say, by the way, we don't believe this theory anymore. We disproved this five years ago. Why did I learn that? Well, they say, well, you have to learn what we've disproved in order to learn what we prove. I said, what have you proved? How do I know five years from now you're not going to disprove that? What is all this stuff? I found some really, really good stuff in there. But you want to hear something that's pretty amazing? Anything I found in there, I could directly put back into God's word. How to handle events, how to control thoughts, how to get your grip on feelings, how to change behavior. And I've never had to stand before a group and say, you know those last verses we read? Those were really good a couple years ago, but we're not buying into that right now. What kind of a solid foundation is that that it changes with the next theory? Isn't it wonderful that God says, I can give you a resource, a true resource, which is his perfect holy word, which becomes alive in us, changes our heart, changes our mind, changes our feelings, and changes our behavior. Remember that to our story of the two kind of builders? The houses, those houses can look identical. Same. What's the difference? Foundation, right? Resource. There are people in here right now, and this isn't a shame thing. Take it for what it is, who really don't want to be here. Usually it's men, no offense. What is this about now? How does this apply to my life? When's he going to be done? Guarantee you done faster than Pastor Jeff if that gives you any hope. But is this really applicable to my life? Am I really going to build my life on the promises of Christ? Because that takes a whole lot of what? Faith. I can't rationalize it to you enough to get you to buy into it. I can't intellectualize it enough for you to buy into it. You have to accept it by faith. And when you do, you'll be blown away. When you say, you know what, Lord, I'm done fighting you. I'm going to sit back and truly enjoy what you have to say. Take it to heart and put it into practice. Things change. But it always starts with the rock, Christ, our foundation, and how we secure that is in God's word. Let's take a look at verse there. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us what to do is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. Are those some powerful verses? Is it telling you that God has provided you a resource that is complete, that does everything for you, that gets you ready for what you really need to do out there? Absolutely. God knows how weak we are. He loves us. He forgives us. He says, I will always give you a way. I will always love you. I will always support you. But he also gives us a choice. In Christian living, I can stray really fast. I love this analogy I once heard. It, um, a gentleman was talking about the whole issue of sinful nature and how does this faith thing work. And he said, let me give you a, a kind of an example. He said, it's really like two dogs fighting. Now, if you ever spent any time on the reservation, which I have, you see stray dogs once in a while, and once in a while they fight. Or if you've ever seen some of these so-called dog fights that were actually organized, dogs really trained to fight. They're not like a boxer or a wrestler or two people upset with each other. When dogs fight, they go right for the throat. 
And their only purpose for doing that is to kill the other one. So can you imagine that every day you and I live with two dogs inside of us? One is good. One is evil. One represents the foundation, that Holy Spirit living inside me. One represents my sinful nature. No matter how hard I try, I can tell you this. I can never get rid of that evil one. God says you will never be perfect. You will never earn your way to heaven. You will always make mistakes. You're always going to have that pesky sinful nature hanging around, and those two dogs are going to fight. The guy says, well, if that's the case, which one wins? And the guy says, the one you feed the most. For daily Christian living, when you wake up in the morning and you say, today is the day the Lord has made, I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. When you say, my God, you are my awesome Heavenly Father. You love me, you forgive me, you support me. You never leave me or forsake me. When you spend time reading God's word, you calm yourself instead of first thing looking to see what the stock market did or what's happening with the oil spill or what's going on in Iraq. Your attitude, your Christian life changes. You can't help it. Because God, the Holy Spirit, has given you a gift. So I will strengthen your faith to help you stand up so when those winds blow and that rain comes down and it hits the house, which it will, you and I will stand firm. Not because of what we've done. Because Jesus says, I've already done the work for you. The battle's won. You have a place secured in heaven. You have a life to live. Now, as parents, we get to see this all the time. There's all these little paths we get to take, right? You go, son, don't, don't, don't go down that path. I can tell you exactly how it's going to end up. They go down that path. And then you, if you have a good memory, you go, oh, yeah, I went down that path too. And they have to experience some of these things. But God says in Christian living, when you fill yourself with the Holy Spirit, when you take in God's word, he will transform you, renew your mind, keep you focused, and strong faith becomes fruits of faith, and you make decisions based on his will, his word, not on that sinful nature. And then the beauty is, you and I are going to screw up. And when we do, he comes right back and says, I love you. I forgive you. Get over it because I have it. As far as the east is from the west, you're okay. Don't live in shame. Don't reach for another self-medication. Come right back. I'm still here. I still love you. Next verse says this. As a resource, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. When you come here to crosswalk and you hear God's word and you participate in the sacrament and you pray for one another and you sing praises to him, even when you might not be so-called feeling it, God is working in your heart. He has made you a promise that when you do this, I will strengthen you. You are putting your feet on the firm foundation. So whatever happens, he says, I will be there for you. But take advantage of your resources. You know what? As Christians, we've got to get out of the habit of head knowledge. There are very real verses that tell you how to make choices, how to handle adversity, how to make decisions that impact finances, whatever it might be. God says, I've given you this full book. I wrote it. As my grandpa would say, whenever you come to something in the Bible you don't understand, just remember you're somebody smarter than you wrote the book. Accept it. Life works out really good when you do that. It's an amazing thing. Final piece I want to talk about is Training. So we've talked about attitude. We've talked about the resources God's given us. How do we put this into action? For those of you who've ever been in the military or have ever really trained for a sport or something intense, you know several things happen. Well, I think the military's got it the best. The police academy did a pretty good job. But the first thing they do 
is they take away everything you got, don't they? Then they shave that pretty hair, and they put you in clothes that look like everybody else, and they tell you you don't have a mama, a daddy, or nothing anymore. You will jump when I say jump, and you will do what I say, and you will wish you were back with your mom and daddy before this is over. Amazing. That creates, first and foremost, humility. And you're going to learn real quick, if you don't submit, good luck. You might have beat your third grade teacher, but you will not be dead drill sergeant down. You will not be a one-man show. Rambo does not exist. And they know that to be on a team, you need to have humility, submission, follow orders, and when you do, good things happen. When you don't, life gets really tough. So how about us as Christians? Is there a training component for us? Absolutely. Here's how the training works. When I identify in my life what those winds are, what that rain is, what those floods are, and I say that is adversity, that is an attack on my house, I have a firm foundation in Jesus. I have a place to go, and that is God's word. There are verses that I have memorized. I have a little card out front. Whatever it is you use, when you go there and you say, this is how my faith life works, this is how my brain works, I don't run to the liquor cabinet, I don't run to drugs, I don't run to sex, I don't run to pornography, I don't run to Walmart, wherever it is people want to run to and always come up empty, I am going to train my Christian life to run to Jesus. And to say, Lord, I am helpless. I can't do this. I need you. I desire you, save me. He says, I will do it every time. I am the solid rock. I won't shift. I won't change. Nothing is going to happen to you that I won't allow to happen to you. What's the worst thing people think that can happen to us? Most would say death. So I die today, I end up in a mansion in heaven where there are no more tears, no more sorrow, no more disease. I see my grandpa again. I wait for my children to arrive. That's the absolute worst that you can do to me as a Christian. You cannot take that away from me. God says because of what Jesus has done for you and I, by simple faith, we each have a mansion in heaven. And it's going to be glorious. And if I lose sight of that, if I don't train every day, and man, I, get str- I just get frustrated with myself and others on this. A couple of weeks ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, I actually felt anxiety. I'm not a big anxiety person. I should be more anxious, I think, some days. But that's not really too much of me. But I felt that little heart palpitation, and I realized that for the last couple days, which is really out of character for me, I didn't wake up in the morning and really spend time in the Word. I glanced over it, got busy, had other things going, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I'm feeling this pounding in my chest going, where is this coming from? Do you know in this world how many things are coming at you constantly? Do you know that Satan knows your every weakness and desires to capture your soul? If you don't combat that with God's word, with his sacrament, being there in the word, encouraging one another, he's given us incredible resources, but we got to put that into training. We cut ourselves short. God says, I have given you a way to do it. And that training comes in a really quiet way. In my morning, uh, I'm kind of a strange guy, especially when people hear I'm an ex-homicide cop. My morning devotion at home looks like this. I have a little place in my office. I walk down there. I put on piano music because I'm ADD off the wall. I got to hear something or I'll try and hear something. I light a candle because I'm sensory oriented. So it's pine, which is one of my favorite smells. Reminds me of northern Minnesota or the mountains of the reservation. I have my cup of coffee. 
And now I visualize the fact that I am entering into the Holy of Holies. My God is waiting there as a calm, loving father saying, good morning. Glad you rested well. Let's talk about what your day is going to look like. Let's remember who you are, that I have very specific plans for you today. And I read those words, not intellectually, but say, God, speak to me. I want to hear these words again today. You say your words alive and living, sharper than a double-edged sword. Make it happen for me. And throughout the day, I'll remember that verse, and I'll see God's hand in my life, and it's an incredible thing. That's the training piece, coming to church, worshiping, being in your Bible study. God says that'll give you that firm foundation. I will not forsake you. Final end to the sermon I want to talk to you about. Um, On the news, Officer Longben disclosed everything but one little piece. That's what I want to conclude with today. During the struggle, when I told you he was on his back and he's getting that bolt wailed into his head and he thinks he's going to die, he finally pushes the guy up. He gets his gun out and he's now right in front of that murder suspect who's trying to kill him. He says, I finally felt that relief that I was going to make it. I knew that with that weapon, even though I was losing that fight, I'm going to win. He says, I pulled a trigger and it clicked. Now, if you talk to guys who've ever been in police work or even in the military, everyone about I know has had at least one nightmare of pulling the trigger and it don't go. It's like your worst fear. What happened during the struggle, a semi-automatic weapon, the slide came back slightly, popped around halfway up into the chamber, but not enough to get it all the way in, and so he had what's called a stovepipe or a jammed round. Every time a police officer goes to training on the range, you're taught to react to a jammed round. It's called tap and rack. As soon as that happens, you bang the bottom of the gun, you rack the slide, it kicks out the bad round, kicks in the new one, and you have to do it over, 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 over. So when you're in the middle of a crisis, about to lose your life, and the gun jams, your attitude isn't, oh no, poor me. Darn gun, this isn't fair. That gun is your resource that was given to you to get you through it, right? And your training doesn't even hesitate to go, bam, bam. After he did that, they would fire those four rounds that killed that man. Attitude, resources, training. God says, I have given them to you, not for you to earn your way to heaven, not to make you perfect, but to help you in this world stand strong on the solid rock of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each and every day is truly a gift from you, and yet you tell us that as long as we live in this world, there will be struggles. Remind us daily, Lord, through your word, that we are forgiven, perfect and holy children, bought with the blood of Jesus. Remind us, God, that we don't live alone, that you are there with us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, and that by your power, we can live lives that are good and pleasing to you. And then finally, remind us, Lord, that at the end of the day, we will fail. And yet, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we have life eternal. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.